1: In today's episode of the Canon Podcast, join us as we discuss the evolution of Gabrielle Martinelli, break down a new role for Kai Havertz, get an update on the future of Takehiro Tomiyasu, and discuss the breaking news regarding David Raya. Yes, guys, welcome back to the Canon Podcast. Today, I am joined with George. Unfortunately, Alex can't make it, but me and George are going to break down everything during this, I'd say, uh, normally boring international break. George, mm. how do we survive during this football games? Like, I, I can't talk about the international break because it's so hard to watch the games let alone break it down but what do you make of it so far
0: it's just it's it's long isn't it <laughs> it gets to the point i feel like by the end of these things where you're always like oh the next week we've got football and then you just start counting down the hours it really goes down like that for me at least and um it was just it was difficult because i felt like there wasn't much news in general yeah um you know uh, i think arguably maybe the biggest news was the everton uh point deduction break that we already knew about. And then um, I I think beyond that, it was just uh, really boring, not even many links to get people excited about either. So it was just a very boring break and just can't wait to get Brentford up on Saturday.
1: There was an interesting game, though, uh, involving Brazil and our Brazilian boys, Gabriel, Gabriel, and Gabriel. Um, a very physical game against Argentina, where all three of them started, and uh, they lost, unfortunately, it was one goal to nil to Argentina, but it was a big game. Um, but in terms of Brazil, there's been a lot of talk recently about the Martinelli's inclusion to the team and, you know, potential future as a centre forward. Now, I'm not sure if he was playing there in this game or in the game prior to that, but there was a goal that he scored, his first ever Brazil goal where he kind of was playing in the middle in that phase, placing in the back of the net first time, very instinctive finish. I think you spoke about it on Twitter as well. Martinelli as a centre forward, we've spoken about it in the past, but how far away do you think it is of actually seeing it in an Arsenal team?
0: I think it, it a lot depends on who that marquee signing is going to be, you know, and, and I've always felt like uh, we kind of talked about it last time in terms of, you know, he he's a player that can be both at left wing and both at striker positions. Um, I've always felt like he's carried more individual benefit in those central areas. It's just, it's quicker with him. It's less um, thought out, you know, like those natural instincts, when to release, when to, when to kind of, um, you know, finish. And his variety of finishing is really quite big, right? And of course, I'm going to repeat that reference of Luis Suarez. That's who I see him as. Um, as a player um, and I just think that you know one of the biggest reasons it's not just the movement that we see but it is that finishing acumen do you remember last season um, there was I forget who was against but it was um, Tommy Yasu floating that half space cross over the top for Martinelli to kind of finish over the top of his head uh, yeah. brilliant invention to do it and it's, it's not just that type of goal that he's able to do. He's able to kind of see the pitch and find space where there is none, whether that's in the box or out wide. And I just think that is better, um, especially as teams sit back more and we've faced more low blocks. We're going to need players that can find a different way if we're not able to physically move them and we're not able to break them down effectively through passing patterns and accessing the center of the pitch. So, um, He's going to be important. He can do it on either side. But I think a big thing depends on kind of who that marquee signing is. For example, I'm just shouting out names, but, you know, it, are you going to go Raphael Leao or are you going to go Victor Osaman? Very different players, both that could help facilitate Martinelli in different positions. Yeah. But again, very different philosophies.
1: What dynamic could you prefer as a fan? Is it that Martinelli is a striker and Leao as an option? And that's just the name, of course. Or was it that more traditional striker, which I think fans are crying out for, you know, uh, old school number nine. You see, you see you've got Haaland, United in Hoyland as well. That's physical number nine, like I Ossie man. What route do you think in the current way the world football's going is, is more suited to Arsenal?
0: It's a, it's a tough question because I'm always about value for me personally. Like I look at value first. So a, a yep. big reason by going... For let's say, like a layout, and it doesn't have to be that name, but a superstar winger, a Leroy Sané, like somebody that would really change the complexion of our winger dynamics. Um, if you go that route, um, and you, you, it would be a deviation from the greater football fraternity who are going the big traditional nine route. I think that for me, I've I've grown up on loving multiple different players. Obviously, we all love Tyrion Rios. Arsenal fans and that type, that prototype, your Nicholas Anelka, that that kind of lab grown striker for me is what I love. And so getting Mortonelli as a center forward is in that mold. Um, So I don't mind going the winger route. The one thing I will say, though, is that it would be a big transition. And The one thing that I do like from say a Victor Osaman is I don't feel that you compromise on those aspects with a player like him because he gives you that physical presence, that player uh, to play off of that physical frame. But then at the same token, he's also somebody that's able to provide the movement, go out wide, allow some interchange. And so you get kind of the best of both worlds with somebody of that type. That's why he's going to be the most pursued player on the planet next year. Um, So, Honestly, I don't mind. I think value answers my question. I've seen the team succeed in so many different ways. And I put a post actually up on um, X recently where I talked about how clubs and fans, we have a bias to particular profiles in clubs. So for example, your Gilberto Silva's, your Patrick Vieira's are things that Arsenal fans align with. So Declan Rice will immediately be something that fans love. Whereas Jorginho, which ironically, probably really gets accepted at Liverpool. But maybe not as much at arsenal for the fact that we're more traditionally grown up at least in our identity on these big strong powerful carriers in the middle of the park emmanuel Petit, you know um, so i i think for me uh i've seen us win and so in many different ways i'm kind of the one that wants to choose the best value play and then i'll build from there i don't never have like an opinion on who needs to be in my front line. The one thing that I will say is I think that we need to get Martinelli and Saka closer to goal. Um, yeah. I know that could be a cop-out, but uh, you can do it in multiple ways. I'm not married to one way. It doesn't have to be an Evan Ferguson. It doesn't have to be a Victor Osimhen. It could be a Raphael Leao. It could be a multitude of different players. But the one thing I know is I need Martinelli and Saka closer to goal and more frequently as well because they're not getting the superstar treatment that they deserve.
1: The question that I think then becomes is, you know, you look at Arsenal's actual pursuit of targets. And in terms of forwards, they've actually gone for more left wing targets than strikers. So maybe Mikel yeah. Arteta sees a similar pattern because the pursuit of Pedro Neto, but more Michaelo Mudrick and the signing of Trossard as well. We've not really seen Martinelli used as a, as a centre forward when we've seen Trossard on the team. And maybe that's something that we can see this season, because I, I would argue that he's probably our best finisher in terms of just natural, instinctive finishing. Martin Lee's our best finisher. So it's, I think it could be a wise move to play him more centrally and try him out there. We've played him in a few games where he struggled physically. So I think that's the question that Arsenal fans will have is can he provide us that backboard that some fans want, that outlet? But I think he's growing in that demand. I think, you know, and also what, is he still 22 years of age? You know, we're not going to expect mm-hmm. a complete profile, but I think he was what's compared to Luis Suarez. And, um, you know, kind of at times you can see it at times you can see it, but, you know, we'll see how Mikel Arteta evolves that. There's, there's another player that we need to talk about as well, um, who played in a very weird position during this international break. We're talking about Kai Havertz, left back, George. He scored as well in his in his first game, five years into it. I don't know if you watched the games, but can you understand the dynamic behind
0: it? Yeah, I mean, Julian Egglesman is kind of that modern coach as well, you know, in, in very much yeah. in those positional moulds. I mean left back. I mean let's let's have it right. It's it's a left-eight role, you know, like maybe on paper he lines up as left back, but you know, he gives he's given the freedom to kind of excel and and put himself higher up the pitch. I I mean I don't think that I would love to see him at Arsenal continue to play that way. I've always felt like at least to maximize his current value right now, we need to play Kai Havertz as a center forward or at the very least at right central midfield. I think he sees the pitch better from the right side of the pitch. I'll maintain that, and I think also, we need to talk about the role of the right side versus the left side, because at Arsenal, for example, at least with uh, Germany, he had the freedom to kind of arrive into the box and be one of the higher uh, players despite operating at left back on paper. Whereas I think at Arsenal, the right central midfielder is the one that's operating a little bit higher than the left central midfielder at this point. And the left central midfielder is responsible for a little bit more second phase responsibility. So he has to come in and help him build up a little bit more. And he's not quite the same as the Shaka role of last season. Things have switched. And so um, for me, if you're going to maximize Kai Havertz, get him closer to goal, which is the right central midfield role. And so that's how I would operate him at Arsenal I don't know about him as a left back or even as a left eight in the future I think those we've seen the sample enough like I don't know how many more times we need to see that he's just not seeing the pitch in the same way he's he's doing okay but I don't think you expect okay for 65 million pounds you know you know there's things that you can justify in terms of why things aren't working 100%. Some of it's on him, some of it's on Mikel, and we've kind of exhausted those topics here on the pod. But broadly speaking, I think that international breaks are a time for people to experiment because they're approaching the Euros. You know, I don't think he was the only one. I think a lot of coaches are thinking, how can I best use um, these players as I kind of, work towards getting a settled 11, right? And I think by March, where you'll start to see like a lot of the European teams be settled in their final 11s and be settled in their formations and their roles. But I think right now it's just simple, creative, um, kind of marking, creative ways of uh, of applying Kai Havertz because he's seen what he's done at Arsenal and he's seen the role, which is really quite similar to Arsenal's role, just used a little bit differently because uh, Germany have this weird collection of, six eights that aren't exactly anchors. They've got Gundogan Kimmich who are vying for specific roles, right? So there's a lot of clogging happening there. So in order to fit in Kai Havertz with that midfield signing, um, as well as making sure that they've got the right balance, I think Nagelsmann is just playing around with uh, different pieces.
1: Yeah, uh, I think we'll see how, how he fits back into Arsenal. And I think post-international break, we'll really find out what Havertz is made of because there's no more, no more international football, at least until March so now, it's, I think Havertz is time to maybe get some goals. And I think that's the key part, it's confidence. Scoring goals is what he's been brought to do. That's what fans are going to judge him by. And if he can score some goals in some important games, then fans are going to respect him more. Let's talk, though, about Gabriel Jesus. Now, George... Jesus played and started. Uh, he is back now uh, to full fitness to start against Argentina. Didn't score but there were some intriguing quotes after the game where he kind of talked about goal scoring not being his strength. Now we've talked about in the past the the fact that Jesus is a bit underrated and he, I think his goals and assist numbers are still up there with some of the best in Premier League history. But Jesus versus Roberto Firmino has been a debate on Twitter recently. Firmino of course is now in Saudi Arabia. Jesus is still thriving in the Premier League. In terms of those two profiles, people always compare them at the, in terms of false nines. Do you think Jesus is, you know, again, being underrated here by people saying that Firmino is well clear of him?
0: I mean, it's weird because I think you look at the numbers and just the pure facts and Jesus outscores Firmino in terms of goals per 90 in the Premier League, right? So, um for all the the claims that Gabriel Jesus is not clinical. Um, the numbers don't always agree <laughs> when you compare these profiles. Um, I think that, uh, generally speaking, the problem is, right, one person won and one person didn't win. And one person is perceived as leaving a winning team to go to a team that hasn't won yet. I think that's a huge part in all this. Generally, I think Gabby Jesus has the potential to do more with his career than Firmino's done. I think Firmino won, so it's difficult for you to say that they're one's better than the other. I hear that side of the argument. I just think that, you know, Jesus does more in different areas of the pitch. Therefore, he's always going to be a more rounded profile. He's going to be able to do more. Firmino, for all of his brilliant uh, facilitation, by the way, and I think he had a lot better. Um, uh, spatial awareness for the pass. Gabby Jesus is much more of a carrier, a threatener. Um, he's definitely somebody um, who wants to finish moves. Uh, Firmino wasn't exactly that, you know. He definitely was somebody that was fine to facilitate, fine to build and fine to, to, to help the team out in actually deeper areas. Because I think, despite Jesus dropping, he's not somebody that dictates the attack. Firmino dictated the attack. Jesus drops to help out. But he ultimately wants to facilitate getting on the end of chances. Um, You know, Firmino was quite happy to let those fall to Mane and Salah. So I think the facilitation word is kind of overdone by people on Twitter. And I think that's why they're being compared, probably wrongly. But I will maintain, I think that Jesus is a more rounded profile. I don't think that Firmino does what Jesus can do on the wing, in terms of creating separation, in terms of being a touchline winger on either side. He doesn't carry that functionality. I think that he is much more clinical than Jesus and he's got a better uh, creative uh, passing range than Jesus does. But Jesus is a much more dominant dribbler, a much better presser off the ball. and. Um, they're just, uh, they're different players for me, um, fundamentally. It's just, I find it ironic when people start to critique the composure and the goals and use that as an argument, which Jesus has outscored for you um, in his time in the Premier League. I just find that a little odd. But again, it all comes down to the fact that one has won and one hasn't. Well, I mean, he, he has. W- he's won with City. Yeah, but, that's what I was going to say. But uh, Jesus I mean, that, is, yeah, for me, he's severely. He's at a right? team that isn't winning. I think that's yeah. the thing.
1: Yeah. I think Firmino's role, you're right, in in helping Liverpool achieve the Champions League success and Premier League success. And that front three, when you're a part of Salah and Mane, you're obviously going to be elevated as well. And Saka and Martinelli are very good players, but they're not quite at that level yet with those who are in the peak of their powers, world-class players, providing the Champions League nights. I think with Jesus it's he's very close to being a very perfect profile in the sense of he does what Firmino offers. He can drop down, he can play make, he can dribble and, you know, do a lot of the things that maybe Haaland can't do. And he can also get himself in the right areas. It's just about that composure in the final third. And he still scores goals. And I think that's the thing. His movement elevates him over Firmino. Firmino wasn't in those goal-scoring positions enough. That's why he didn't score the goals. Jesus is. It's just a matter of, you know, taking those chances on a more clinical basis. But most strikers miss chances. I mean, Erling Carlin is always at the highest in the league in terms of big chances missed. Because that's what fans, you know, think about Jesus is. You know, he misses big chances. He doesn't score goals. He does score goals. And I think his record speaks for itself. But I think, again, it's just nostalgia. For sure, and as you said, winning bias. If Arsenal win a title with Jesus is a striker, that, that debate will go out of the window. But until then, you know, we're going to have to entertain it. And Firmino's a great player, by the way. I'm not going to say is not a good player. Very good player. But I just think Gabriel Jesus has more to his game, as he's also alluded to as well. Um, but we need to now talk about, you know, the future of Takehiro Tomiyasu. George, there's been rumours that Bayern Munich have interest in signing him in January. And have had interest for a long time. So with that kept in mind, reports have come out since then that Arsenal have opened talks over negotiations of a new contract. I saw a tweet from Alex discussing the potential of selling Tom Yasu if an offer arrived of 50, 60 million pounds. Now that's not him say, saying sell Tomiyasu, but it's him saying like, if an offer arrives of that amount, you can't say no to it. What do you make of uh, you know, Tommy Yasu's future? Is he a must keep player or is he a player if a right offer arrives and you've got to let him go? Thanks for checking out the Canon podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the pod. Sports Social Podcast Network.